Welcome to our podcast, How Would You Beat? In each episode, we pick a company and talk about how you could use jobs to be done innovation methods to beat that company's product. We'll discuss innovation theory and explain the methods so you can put the theory into practice at your company. I'm Jay Haynes, the founder and CEO of Thrive. That's Thrive without the vowels, THRV.com. We help product marketing and sales teams use jobs to be done innovation methods to build, market, and sell great products. I'm here with my colleague, Jared Ranieri. So today we're going to look at Amazon. How would you beat Amazon? Um, last week, we talked to Matt Bjornson at Target, who we worked with and helped his team use jobs to be done to do exactly that, to beat Amazon, to very successfully defend off Amazon in their registry business. Uh, Matt talked about that a lot. Um, so today I thought we'd follow up with that and more broadly talk about beating Amazon as a company, not just in a specific area, but how would you you know approach this huge problem? And it is a huge company. So just some numbers on Amazon. Its market cap today is uh, almost $1.6 trillion dollars. Uh, just under Apple's, I think at two trillion. So you know, approaching to be the biggest company in the world, uh, it has three hundred and twenty-one billion dollars in revenue and twenty billion dollars in operating profit. That is just an enormous company. But what's even more remarkable, I think, is that just four years ago in two thousand seventeen, uh, five years ago or so. Uh, so from 2017 to 2020, over those four years, Amazon grew from $177 billion in revenue to $386 billion uh, in 2020. The $320 billion in revenue, I think, is the trailing 12 months, but, uh, but so uh, it wouldn't include you know, this year's holiday season. But that is extraordinary to already be a $170 billion in revenue uh, company and then project that over the next four years, you're going to grow 120%. That, that's just phenomenal growth. That's phenomenal growth for a startup. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> how does this break down? How, how does Amazon generate so much revenue? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things is they're not just a retailer. Of course, they make $163 billion in their online stores. They have their physical stores, uh, you know, mostly through Whole Foods, which is doing $17 billion a year. But then they also make $22 billion in subscription services and $40 billion on AWS, their web services B2B platform. And then they have their third-party reselling services. They're making $63 billion there. And then there's another category in this infographic I'm looking at, which includes you know, co-branded credit cards. And they're making $17 billion off of that. So just that is a huge company. Uh, it's really incredible um, how much revenue they're making from such a diverse uh, set of business units, um, B2B, consumer, retailing. Uh, you know, their their subscription services includes Prime Video and music, uh, which are, makes them a media company. So it's just unbelievable how far they've spread what they do. So 
how would you take on all of these at once? Or maybe a better question is, should you try to take on all of these business units at once? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the short answer, of course, is no. <laughs> you, you couldn't do it. You shouldn't take on all of these at once. Um, but that is that's a, an important question. So we should we should look at like why Amazon is successful in the first place. So they are an online retailer, physical retailer. They sell their own products. They're branded as Amazon products. They've got the subscription services, Prime Video. So they're a media company, as you said. They're a tech hosting platform company with AWS. So it's really multiple, multiple different companies. But let's let's first actually one thing that's interesting is why is Amazon successful in the first place? How did they? emerge and evolve as this incredibly successful company. And this is where jobs to be done thinking and jobs theory can help um, even explain past historical successes. And that's one of the things I like about it. When you're going to try to figure out like, how did Amazon seemingly come out of nowhere and beat Walmart, which of course was, you know, the biggest company in the world, uh, one of them in terms of revenue and number of employees, just you know, massive scale of Walmart. And this new company comes out of seemingly nowhere in the same business. And I think jobs theory, even in that case, explaining why Amazon is successful is really helpful. And a lot of retailing is what we call, you know, which, you know, Rita McGrath has talked about this. She kind of pioneered this idea of consumption jobs. And the, the way to think about that is a consumption job relates to anything about purchasing or using a product, learning to use it, installing, maintaining it. And purchasing a product is incredibly important. So if you've got a job to get done, you know, and you're looking for a product or service to help with that, well, you need to purchase something. That's a good way to find a product and purchase it. And that is where Amazon started. And what was interesting, of course, they were an online bookseller, <laughs> but it, Books were a great category to buy online because, you know, you didn't need to put them on your feet or on your back or on your hands or anything to figure out whether or not the book was going to be good. Um, so it was a great category to start with, but they really did innovate that consumption uh, experiencing of, of purchasing a product. So, so Jared, how would you compare purchasing a product before Amazon and after Amazon using jobs theory. I mean, it's a classic story of disruption, right? So you used to have to go to the store uh, for you probably walk there, get in your car, travel to go purchase a product. You could browse the options available in that physical store. And, you know, it was pretty slow. Sometimes they didn't even have what you wanted in stock. Um, and then you, you know, sort of browse the items to figure out the criteria of what you wanted. And you, you didn't have as many options. So you didn't always find things that met the criteria. And then you'd go pay for it, and you'd carry it home. And what I think is really fascinating about this is, at the beginning, you if you read quotes about Amazon being an online seller, it people were talking about it like it was a different market from Walmart. Right. Like, like, because you're going to purchase this product online, it's a completely different thing. It's got nothing to do with going to a store and buying things, purchasing things online. You know, that, that, that's this tiny niche thing that why would anybody want to do that? People love to go to stores. People, I, I think we were, I read this article about the retail apocalypse a couple of years ago when we were working with Target. And there were people, uh, owners of big box stores and executives from big box stores saying, you know, 
people like families love to spend four hours on a Saturday just wandering around like they did that for decades. But these millennials, I don't understand them. Why don't they want to walk around a store for four hours looking for what they want and just finding things? That's isn't that a great way to spend a Saturday? And the truth is, nobody ever wanted to do that. That was a terrible way to spend a Saturday. (laughs) You feel like you're in some time warp and you hated it. And it was just the only way to get good value for the products you wanted. And when you compare that to a few clicks online and then the product just shows up in time for when you need it, that is obviously faster and more accurate way to get the job done. And and that's what's interesting, right, is you have to look at where customers are going to go if they can get the job done better there, not where they are today. The growth comes from how can you get the job done faster, more accurately, such that you're the the, the solution people switch to, not pile on to where everybody is already and try to compete head to head with all the existing players. So I think that's what's so fascinating about Amazon is they got huge by pretending they were in a different market from the target. I mean, this was such a problem that target contracted Amazon to make their e-commerce site because they were like, well, that's a different market. We'll dabble in it. And they let Amazon own all the data. This is, and if you read uh, The Everything Store, which is the book about how Amazon got big from its founding to, I think, uh, like the mid-2000s or something like that, uh, it talks about this deal that Target and Amazon did, where Target was like, oh, no big deal. You can build our website. That's a tiny category for us. Don't worry about it. And Amazon worked out the kinks in their own business, collected a bunch of customer data in doing so, and then took it away. They said, okay, Target, we're not going to provide you with this online e-commerce platform anymore, so good luck. Uh, And that was a great way to get way ahead of uh, Target and e-commerce. I'm ranting right now, but the point is that they (laughs) got big through these jobs-to-be-done tactics, and now you have to think about how could you sneak up on Amazon again, right? How could you uh, target a job that's very specific, something like purchasing books or what you might do with those books, and then sneak up on them with a new technology that they didn't realize was a big player today because they're big and they only want the big things. Yeah, and I think that's an, um, a great point. Uh, and I would also I would just summarize that by saying the Amazon really did an extraordinary job of the consumption job of purchasing a product from end to end. And I remember one click, um, which you know there was a lot of debate about whether or not that should have been patentable. But clearly, it was extremely customer focused because when you purchase a product, as you know, we always say, what's interesting about jobs to be done in jobs theory is you always want to get a job done faster and more accurately. Uh, you know, unless you're you know listening to music or reading a book or consuming the arts. But for most part, any real functional job and certainly any consumption job, <laughs> you want to get it done as fast and accurately as possible. And one click was extraordinary. You just, your information was there. You wanted to buy the product, click once and you're done. Uh, What I find fascinating today is you still experience retailers or people selling stuff online where it's still not one click. They have you fill out enormous amounts of information. Uh, And a good example of this is, uh, you know, I like to buy music software. Um, And so there's a healthy ecosystem of music software and, you know, you can't buy it through Amazon. And, so you have to go there and they'll ask for your credit card information, including your shipping address. 
I'm downloading the software. There's no box. There's nothing that should be. They absolutely do not need to know my address. If they want to verify my credit card, you can just type in your zip code, right? Um, or even the experience for when, when, if you do have to type in your shipping, why do I have to type in the city and state? All you need is the zip code. So just make it faster for me to give you my information. Now, one thing that's changing that is Apple Pay and Google Pay, of course, because you now just click on that and it's already got the information it sends it. Um, but it's amazing that companies today in 2021 still don't think of this customer experience in terms of speed and accuracy. And that purchase job is in- incredibly important. So if you're out there trying to compete with Amazon and you're, you know, you are competing and selling uh, stuff to consumers, for example, in that market, make sure you're eliminating every single step, every single keystroke that a consumer has to do to purchase to get the job done. Now, one thing, and we don't talk about this too much in the podcast, but we should, the other innovation for uh, that Amazon, um, I would say they adopted because other companies have been doing it as well, is what's called negative working capital. And it's amazing that other retailers just didn't see the power of negative working capital. So what is that? Uh, well, every company's working capital is basically the cash they're going to receive from their customers and the cash that they have to pay out to their vendors. So if you're a bookstore, like when Amazon launched, you they were an online bookstore, you got to buy a bunch of books and put them in inventory. And then you got to wait for someone to show up and pay you for that book. So there's a real cost of that inventory. So what Amazon did was essentially get people to pay them up front and delay their payments to vendors. And that creates what's known as negative working capital because um, people are paying you up front and you get that cash before you even ship out the product. And Dell pioneered this, right? Direct to consumers. And this is why Dell basically wiped, you know, IBM off the face of the earth in, in the PC market. Because when you entered your credit card and said, I want a Dell, you know, XYZ computer, they said, great, we'll take your cash on the credit card and then we'll go build the computer and we'll ship it to you. Meanwhile, IBM had stocked CompUSA with all their inventory of PCs waiting for someone to walk in the door and buy those. And that's a huge cost for for CompUSA uh, and for IBM. And in a market where you might have faster computer chips coming out every you know 180 days, if you have that inventory sitting there, as soon as that new chip comes out, that inventory just is... is drops in price and value enormously. So this negative working capital model is, you know, incredibly powerful. And Amazon used that to its advantages. For for years people were like, oh, Amazon's not profitable. And they they looked at, you know, the PL side of the equation. And that's just your your profits and and losses. But you have to really dig into cash flow because um and and return on invested capital. We don't have to get into all the financial stuff. But um, but basically what they were able to do is to continue to invest in their growth. And um, and there's there's something known as the sustainable growth rate. Anybody who's interested in finance can go check this out. But you can only grow um, at a certain rate given your working capital and your margins, right? And that is literally your sustainable growth rate. If you grow faster than that, you actually need to finance uh, your growth with debt or equity. Uh, but if you have negative working capital, you can grow infinitely fast <laughs> because the more you grow, the more cash you're generating with zero profits, 
that's it's a it's a crazy phenomenon. It almost seems like completely counterintuitive, uh, but it's nonetheless true. <laughs> so that was a big part of Amazon's success. I mean, it's kind of like well. getting a letter of intent, right? If you like, somebody says, "I'm I'll pay you to right. do this now," then go build it. And you're like, okay, well, if I get the you know a hundred people to pay me before I actually build it, then I'll have a big stockpile of money, and there's nothing to stop me from getting a thousand people to do it, and then building it for them on demand. Yeah, it's better. Yeah, and and this is what magazines did, right? Of course, you'd subscribe to Time or Newsweek, and you'd keep paying for your annual subscription, and they haven't delivered you know the eleven other issues to you yet, but you've already paid for your right. annual subscription. I'm I'm definitely. Making myself sound very old by like you know, the magazines I used to subscribe to <laughs> uh, back in the day. Um, yeah, now they just send them to you for free because they need the advertising and <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Amazon was very very successful at this. So and that that was their key that clearly retailing was going to move online. It's way better whether you're buying diapers, you're di- buying toothpaste, or you're even food. Uh, you know, to have it just shipped to you. And the, and the other thing about their success, um, you know, we always talk about speed and accuracy, but if you look at what Jeff Bezos said about Amazon, they are 100% focused on speed and accuracy all the time. He's even said uh, they think of their customers as always being delightfully dissatisfied. I think that's how he phrased it, something like that. And I really, I love that phrase. Um but it's crazy, you know. They created Prime, and you know they ship things to you, you know, overnight. And now it's like it's unbelievable. You don't have to go to the store, and this new thing shows up tomorrow. And even with that, even with that speed, they're building drones because, like, we want to get it to you within an hour, right? And then you know, yeah. at some point, they will deliver it to you within minutes, right? Yeah, and and this is something that we don't really talk about that much. But the the product category choices they made based on what needs they could satisfy were really clever. So for example, when they started with books, they couldn't get the products to you all that fast. And sometimes there were some significant delays. But as a category, that need is relatively unimportant, right? Like there's not too many occasions, unless maybe you're a college student, where you say, I need this book tomorrow. If I don't get it tomorrow, there's gonna be huge problems in my life. Whereas diapers, if you don't get those on time, you're going to have huge issues and you're going to just go to the physical store instead if it doesn't get to you fast enough. But they delayed their entry into that market until they had a way to get the product to you faster and more accurately. So where they couldn't be faster and more accurate when that was important to the consumer, they didn't get involved, right? They figured out that framework and that infrastructure so that as they moved into categories where um, shipping speed was incredibly important, they were good at it. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's true even for AWS. So if we move out of the just online retailing, even AWS, you know, clearly what they recognize is just businesses were going to move online. So um, again, I think I'm revealing my age, but I remember, um, you know, in the, in the, late nineties, early two thousands, uh, when we were trying to start up a company and, and get online, you, you literally had to buy a bunch of servers, uh, go to the colo facility, like screw them into the rack, you know, wire up all the networking cables and configure them all. I mean, it took days, you know, if not hours and you're constantly monitoring it, you know, now you need, you need uh, server performance. It's literally, you know, a line of code, 
in AWS and you're, you're off and running. So speed and accuracy, again, 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 is always part of what they're thinking about. So if you were going to beat Amazon, <laughs> the first thing you should be do, you should do is put your speed and accuracy hat on from your customer's perspective. What you're doing, if you're going to compete with them, has to be faster and more accurate. And now what's interesting is Target and Matt, who we talked to last week, you can you can also use a retail store to be faster and accurate amongst along some dimensions, right? So Target's actually done very well, which is incredibly surprising. Um, and of course, the the registry business was an example of this, where um, registry is a very complicated thing. Uh, that is a very complicated job around a new baby or a wedding or whatever it is and gift giving. And it's a two-sided market. So just going to Amazon and saying, I'm going to pick a gift and I can do that quickly with one click. Well, that's not the registry job. That doesn't entail all the steps and all the needs in receiving and giving gifts. So that's a great example of where you can still innovate, uh, against Amazon, but you have to think about your customer, their job and speed and accuracy. And that's where, in other words, shipping speeds, not the only speed that matters, right? There are other things that have to happen in that job that you potentially could be faster in depending on the product category. Yeah, that's right. And of course, uh, you know, we, we talk about this all the time and I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but a good example of this would be parents and parents need to get a baby to sleep through the night. So getting a baby to sleep, it, you know, Jared, you and I both have twins. So if, if you, if you're a parent out there and you have a baby, it's tough enough. You have twins. You definitely need to get your baby to sleep through the night. Life or um, death. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so how do you hire Amazon to get that job done? Well, you know, we love this example because if you type, get a baby to sleep, uh, through the night uh, in Amazon, uh, the result you get is a book called Go the F to Sleep. <laughs> and it's very funny, but it absolutely is not going to help you as a parent get your baby to sleep through the night in any right. way. And then what you'd have to do, even if you got all the things you needed shipped to you very quickly by Amazon, you'd have to cobble them together. You have to figure out like, well, what do I do to get my baby to sleep tonight? Do I use a swaddle? Do I use a pacifier or not? Do I need a, you know, diapers? Do I need toys? Like what's the so, routine? Yeah, white noise I, machine. Yeah. What do I do with the crib? Where do I put the crib? Yeah. It's still very slow. So, and that's a, that's a great example too. Um, you know, target innovated in registry, but there's still tons of opportunities, um, to, help customers get jobs done. Now, Amazon's building their own products. So that's an interesting thing too. There's a lot of Amazon branded products, but the, from the ones that I've seen, and obviously I haven't done like extensive research, but they tend to be very commodity like products, mm-hmm. um, like a trash can or a cable, right? Those right, things, right. those things just by their nature are very hard to differentiate. If you're buying an extension cord or a USB cable, I, I mean, if it works, it works, it's fine. Uh, it's really hard to differentiate because those, those product categories are basically consumption job related. They're not related to something functional, like getting a baby sleep through the night. <laughs> They're related mm-hmm. to using some product, um, 
or or you might be trying to get a job done, but it's really relates to just like the consumption or maintenance or installing or learning to use or you know any of those consumption jobs. So it's really yeah, hard. In, to we've innovate. never done this. It'd be interesting to look at uh, extension cords. <laughs> What's the job? Yeah. Could you differentiate? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think the part of the issue there is the protocol situation because you're connecting to a bunch of other equipment that you don't make. But uh, yeah, the point is well taken. It's essentially a commodity. Yeah, you could innovate. You could innovate the the extension cord um, in the interface. And I'll give you an example. I can't forget the manufacturer who does this, but their products, you know, an extension cord, you plug it, or a power cord, you just plug it in, and then you have to like kind of grab the cord and pull it out. They actually created a circle where you could put your finger and pull it out easier. So it kind of created a grip for you to unplug it. So there's, a, you know, and, and of course, Apple created the MagSafe adapter, yep. which they no longer have, but uh, that was brilliant because when my kids run by, they don't like rip my laptop off the desk. Right. Uh, so there's always, you know, there's always possible, but those are, those are consumption jobs. So, you know, the broader mm -hmm. point is those are consumption jobs. Um, so I think if you, if you were going to beat Amazon, you'd want to pick a category that was, that was highly functional and underserved. Of course, you'd want to know that there was a lot of customers out there who were underserved and then focus on that type of innovation as right. well as the delivery, you know, there are more and more companies now that are shipping direct to you. Um, I, I believe even some very, very large consumer companies are now going direct. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and back when I was in you know business school, this whole disintermediation question was a big one because like, could you go direct? Were you going to make your retailers really mad and what would that happen? But you can see why ultimately markets are going to go direct because if you're a company you want to have a direct relationship with your customer, but you also want to make that consumption experience very, very good. And you want your your customers to feel that differentiation. So if you were to start yeah. a company or a product line, say, and getting a baby to sleep through night, having that product and service come directly to me would be very, very valuable in a really good, you know, consistent way. Um, yeah. And I, I think the job steps can be really helpful here too. If you think about, you know, the shipping part of purchasing a product, right? That's a job step that's toward the end, right? It's, it's the get the product job step. And Amazon's been uh, innovating very successfully on that part of the job. Now there might be product categories where a different part of the job is underserved. Like for example, the determine the right criteria for the product, find the products that meet the criteria. And clothing is a good example of this, where it, it, I find it like very hard to figure out, you know, what is the criteria of the clothing? What are the criteria of the clothing that's going to work for me? That's going to make me look great, do all these things. And then how do I find those options in, in a maze, right? And if you think about like Zappos, right? One of the Amazon uh, retail outlets, it's overwhelming to find shoes on Zappos. There are a million options. I'd rather just go to a little boutique that is close by where they've curated it for me and the just general style matches mine and I have two options to choose from and they both fit. Like that, that's what I want out of my clothing because it's faster and it's more accurate because somebody else is doing the work of determining the criteria of the clothes and figuring out options that meet that criteria for me. 
And so that's an area where you can innovate against Amazon, make things faster and more accurately without going head to head on shipping, on how much inventory you can manage, on on vastness of options, because satisfying the needs doesn't require those things that Amazon is good at. Yeah, I, that's great. And again, that example of where if you were competing with them and you were going to go direct to the consumer uh, rather than through another retailer or certainly through Amazon, um, gives you that ability to potentially generate that negative working capital that can generate a lot of growth. Um, and that's really you know a, an incredibly powerful business tool for companies um, because you're you're not running out of cash all the time. You're not starved of cash. You're not worried about your growth rates. You know you can almost grow infinitely fast. Um, right. But you brought up you brought up something too that I think is interesting. If we look at the diapers.com example, um, so what happened to di- diapers.com and why? And and can we use Jobs Sudan and Jobs Theory to kind of explain that because that's an example of where. Uh, a competitor, they tried to compete with Amazon and they basically got taken out. So what happened yeah. with that? And yeah, so di- diapers.com or, or Quidzy, the parent company, uh, there's, a, there's a really great story. I encourage you to Google it about how they were extremely successful at getting diapers to parents. Uh, they grew very, very fast, made a lot of revenue. And Amazon decided that they wanted to get into that category. So they made an offer uh, to acquire Quidzy. And the founders of Quidzy said, no, we don't. We, we think you're undervaluing us. We think we can you know, do better on our own. And Amazon said, okay, let's see how that goes. And they, according to Ars Technica, in dropping their prices to underprice Quidzy and win consumers, they allegedly took a $200 million loss. So they were basically willing to sell diapers at a loss in order to underprice Quidzy's prices uh, or diapers.com's prices and and take away their customers. Um, and it's you know it's it's very similar to Standard Oil, right? They would go in, and uh, this is the the most famous monopoly from uh, the early 20th century, late 19th century, where they would they would go in and underprice their oil to take out competitors in a regional market, and then all the competitors couldn't survive with those low prices. They would go out of business or get acquired by Standard Oil, and then Standard Oil would bring their prices up to a more normal market rate and make incredible profits. And that's essentially, I don't know if, uh, I'm pretty sure that Amazon did raise their prices back up after they acquired diapers.com, but they ended up buying it for way less than their initial offer because the value of the company was so low because they lost a bunch of customers to Amazon. And so they were able to acquire their tech and their service operations to get diapers to people quickly um, at a much lower price than they originally wanted uh, offered. Yeah, it, it, that's such a, an incredibly useful story for companies uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, it shows that, well, of course, it brings up the question about whether or not Amazon should be regulated. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other question. Um, but actually, one we might want to address at some point, because how would use jobs to be done to figure out what to regulate? That's an interesting question. Um, but, in, but in this case, that is head-to-head competition. Uh, with undifferentiated product, um, meaning the diapers were the same. If you're buying, you know, X brand of diaper on Amazon, X brand of diaper on uh, diapers.com. So they were doing a great, diapers.com was doing a great job of competing 
on the consumption side. They were getting diapers to you very quickly, faster than Amazon, I believe. I believe one of their innovations was like, you you need diapers, we're getting them to you, right? And if you're a parent, obviously you need diapers. So, (laughs) um, So that was differentiating on a consumption job. That is unsustainable. Even if Amazon didn't exist in the market, it's really hard to compete against, it's like oil. Uh, not to compare diapers to oil, they're both messy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but a gallon of oil is a gallon of oil, and right. diapers today are pretty good. So you know you might have a favorite brand, and they try and differentiate a little bit. But diapers are good, and and most importantly, if you need diapers for your baby, you're getting any diaper that's like available. So <laughs> um, so it's really really hard to differentiate. Now you might be able to differentiate. There have been brands that are you know super sustainable. There's flushable diapers that you know that we we have four kids. We tried every possible diaper that was out there. Um, but uh, but that's really hard to compete with Amazon like that um, in the absence of regulation, right? Because they're going to come in. They're going to be able to underprice you. But to use the example of getting a baby to sleep tonight, if you really have a great system to get a baby to sleep through night and it works then uh and it might be a combination of products you know it might be hardware software products you know uh a network you know services like getting a baby to sleep through night like we've looked at that job it takes a lot it's not just one thing and that's an example where you'd, you'd create kind of a platform for that job but that would be much harder to amazon for amazon to compete with much 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 harder uh, because right. you've got differentiation and then you're building that relationship directly with those customers. And one of the reasons we bring this up all the time, and I think the diapers.com example is is a useful one, um, is because when you have a na- new baby, you now have jobs to get done that you didn't have to before. And what's interesting is that baby is going to grow up and you have jobs to get done for that baby until they leave your house. And really, as a parent, you right. have jobs to be done for your kids until they retire and you know you die uh right and and so that's the start of an incredibly valuable relationship with consumers and i think amazon probably recognized that very smartly to say wow if diapers.com is doing an incredible job with new parents who have babies what about when they're toddlers and then what about when they're you know in elementary school in fact in in this article bezos is quoted as what I can tell you is that the idea of using diapers and products like that to attract new customers who have new families is a very traditional idea. Yeah, right. And and it makes sense because, you know, it makes sense just from a traditional You get retailing. a customer for a long time. Yeah, you get a customer for a long time because they, you know. I, yeah, and, and one other point, I think your point about um, diapers being a commodity and can you get more of the job done to innovate and have a better service is harder to compete with is, is very interesting because you think about, okay, if somebody drops their prices a lot um, and they're underpricing you, what can you do? Well, you can move to potentially a premium segment and differentiate your services and provide them more such that that premium segment paying you more is worth it. And you could actually potentially increase your prices. But in order to make that work, you have to have a differentiated solution. And how do you know it's differentiated? Well, it gets more of the job done. So you have to have a a real sense of like, why do people want diapers? Like, what are they doing with them? Well, they're trying to get their kids to be able to poop without making a mess everywhere, right? And uh, and and maybe there are other things you can do, right? Like diaper pails can get smelly. Taking out diaper trash is terrible. 
there's more to the job than just getting the diapers to your house, preventing diaper rash. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And maybe if you can expand your service and what you're trying to do with your kid, you can move to a different segment, serve their needs better, and then not have the price war. Yeah. And I think that's a great example uh, because you could you could package up a lot of jobs that you have to get done as a new parent. And just here, I push a button and you send me everything I need as a new parent. Now, people are going to want like, you know, the nice clothes that they like for their kids, the toys they want. But there's a lot to that early parenting that is incredibly difficult. And if you could just push a button and have deliver that to me and I subscribe to the service, so it could be a whole series of services and, and coaching and teaching. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff you could do there. But the key would be, to look at all those jobs, to really understand what they are, to build products and services that would get those jobs done, and then just kind of really help new parents in a profoundly different way than just like, I got to go shop for a whole bunch of new stuff for my baby. And that's true in every category of customer. Now, Amazon's targeting B2B customers with AWS, but uh, for consumers, if we just stick to consumers, that's true no matter what activity you're doing as a consumer, whatever life stage. So if you're trying to compete with Amazon, you do the same thing in any category, whether it was travel or education or uh, financial or whatever it is for consumers, you look at one job, you try and really differentiate on it, you build out into other jobs, and hopefully you create a platform where you can continue to expand. And you definitely do not go head to head. You don't make the diapers.com mistake. Even if you're doing a great job on that consumption job, you know, just the way that markets and jobs and innovation works, you can't sustain that long enough. Um, to be able to to be able to withstand something like a competitive you know threat from Amazon, I totally agree. And, and one example I want to offer before we close out is is Love Every in the in the baby category. So there, Love Every is a subscription service where you sign up, and every I think uh, I think it's month they send you a box of toys. And it's not just the toys. They also send you a book that describes the developmental phases you should expect your kid to be going through at that time, um, how to use the toys they provide to help them with those developmental phases, how to benchmark your kid and not feel bad. They give you books that help them advance. So it's the job isn't get toys. The job that they're helping with is uh, help your kid progress through developmental stages, right? And there's probably a better way to frame that, but that's essentially yep. the concept there. And I don't have to go to a store and pick out toys or or developmental skill sets for them. I don't have to learn about them. It all just shows up in a box every month and I don't even have to think about it. And as a result, we haven't bought any toys from Amazon. We, I, I maybe, yep. maybe one or two out of the like dozens that we have. I don't even know. But th like they're taking me away as a customer of Amazon's where I might have otherwise been like browsing around like crazy and just purchasing randomly stuff because um, they're getting more of the job done in a way that's faster and more accurate. And and it's been incredibly invaluable to our family. And I, and I think it's a great innovation on a product category that otherwise we'd be using Amazon for. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's so many things that we could, we could just do a whole, you know, podcast on, uh, child development jobs because uh, you yeah. know they're incredibly stressful too it's super emotional you know in today's hyper competitive world you're worried about are my kids oh my gosh my toddler is like six months behind the other toddler right i mean it's crazy mm -hmm. but um it's real that anxiety is real so and those are those are very important functional 
jobs, of course, but they're very important emotional jobs for parents. Right. And that type of thing, a subscription service that says, hey, Jared, you're doing okay. Don't worry. You know, this is where you are. This is where you should be. Like just knowing that is really, really useful. And that is a great example of how to compete with big competitors. You, you don't, don't think like them. Don't think I'm going to compete as a retailer. And even if you're Target or Walmart or a direct you know, competitor to Amazon, the registry example, we talked with Matt you know, at Target. That's a, that's a great example. He, you know, their, mm-hmm. Matt's team really thought, they really used Jobs to be Done to think about, okay, what's happening between these gift givers and gift receivers? What are all the emotions tied up? How can this go wrong? Where do they struggle to get this correct? You know, et cetera. And it's way more than just, you know, click and send to a friend. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. I mean, so we could talk about Amazon forever because it's obviously a huge <laughs> company. But, you know, in short, the takeaway, if you're going to compete with Amazon, you know, figure out which customer you're going to target, what the job is and where the unmet needs are and and really focus on something and potentially go direct to consumer. Uh, and as mm-hmm. you mentioned, Jared, that love everything. It's a subscription model. It generates negative working capital. You know, that is the holy grail of business is a product or service that gets the job done better than competitors is highly differentiated on functional consumption and emotion dimensions and generates negative working capital and, you know, an infinite growth rate, sustainable growth rate. Yeah. Thanks for listening to our, how would you beat podcast? Visit us at thrive.com. That's T H R V.com to get our free how to guides and try our jobs to be done software for free.